Welcome to the PIP Podcast, episode 22. In this episode, PIP editor Robin Rosenfeld chats with zero waste advocate Erin Rhodes, also known as the Rogue Ginger. Today I'm talking with Erin Rhodes, author and waste-free living advocate. Hi Erin, thanks for coming in and talking to me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, when we talk about zero waste, what do you mean exactly by that? Because obviously none of us can really live completely without creating any waste, even if you don't create it in your own garbage bin, um, there's some waste. So what's your definition of zero waste? My definition of zero waste is making that commitment to divert as much as you can from landfill as possible by following a framework. Um, So I ideally try to divert at least 90% what I can through rethinking, um, redesigning, so that might not be just me, but, you know, engaging with people with letter writing and stuff and explaining how they can redesign it, Mm. refusing, reducing, reusing, sharing, repairing, choosing things that will break down and in the compost or rot naturally, um, choosing kindness, being the change and recycling as the last resort if all those other steps don't work. Yeah. So how how do you go? Are you able to live without creating waste? No. No, of course not. No, I wish we could, but I, I, I've never once fixated on being able to create no waste. I've only ever wanted to contribute to the change, to be part of that movement. Mm. And to show businesses and other people that this is a livable lifestyle. You don't have to necessarily give up modern conveniences. Mm. And to also show people that we can't avoid our way out of this. We have to ask businesses to change, ask government to help support this um, because there are people out there who can't go waste-free due to certain barriers and I just don't think that that's very fair. So. I just, I've never ever fixated on that word zero. To me, it's just, it's like that goal shining on a mountain and I'm yeah. just part of the people who are trying to get up to that mountain and trying to find the, the easiest path there for all of us. Yeah. So what was your journey to getting there? Like how did you come to getting interested in reducing your waste? And where were you, what was your lifestyle before that? I was the worst person for the environment <laughs> I was awful and I cringe to think back at some of my choices sometimes, but some of us were there, unfortunately. Mm. So I was a very poor recycler. I was into fast fashion, ate a lot of fast food and takeout and packaged meals. I really didn't care about what I threw away. Even though I grew up composting with my parents, I didn't even entertain that idea. Mm. Um, after I moved out and my parents were quite um, especially my dad he would always go and pick up other people's rubbish that he saw around him he was the original kind of take three for the city but it just I I just didn't ever make that connection with my impact and and the world and it only happened to change that my sister gave me a call one day and I was stuck at home bed with pretty awful cold and she made the recommendation for this documentary called The Clean Bin Project. And I'd never watched an eco-documentary before. If you had said, let's watch um, 
an inconvenient truth and say that's boring climate <laughs> change isn't real yeah. that was me yeah um but my sister's got pretty good taste and I watched the trailer and it was really funny and I think that's what my sister was saying like it's funny it's not like doom and gloom kind yeah. of thing we're all going to perish it also presented some quite easy to access changes that I could make as an individual mm. so maybe feel like I, I could do something and it was after that documentary finished and I was you know exposed to everything it, it was it was it was like someone kind of pulled the curtain back mm. in the Wizard of Oz and just said this is actually how the world works this is what we are doing to it mm. and I was like oh so recycling's not that great kind of thing mm. It was after that that I signed up to Plastic Free July and, yeah, that first Plastic Free July in 2013 just turned into Plastic Free August, September, yeah. October. Yeah. <laughs> and I just and I just kept going. Yeah, and I think those, I mean, we're running a Plastic Free July um, challenge at the moment with Pip and I think, yeah, the idea behind it is when you just set yourself a little period of time to just give it a go and do your best, it kind of makes it a bit more doable rather than going, okay, let's do it now forever and it just creates that framework for you to start going from. So how did you go that first July? So you go, if you've, you've sort of come from just doing whatever, what were those first changes that you made and what was the process? Oh, the first changes I made were, you know, pulling out the reusable water bottle that I had. My father had gifted all of us kids one when I think I got one when I was 18 and my sister would have been 17, my brother 16. So we all had one. Yeah but it, it didn't get used. I had a reusable bag as well that uh, my best friend gave me when I was like 18. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I had all these tools to, you know, reduce plastic, but I just didn't really ever connect the dots. Yeah. Um, but I did forget often. I forgot to say no to plastic bags, to straws, take, um, you know, getting my produce to, because I didn't have produce bags at that stage. I just mm. let it roll loose. Um, but with the emails that you got from Plastic Free July, they would – motivate you and they encourage you to have something called a dilemma bag a dilemma bag was where you would put any plastics you were unable to refuse or you that you forgot so that at the end you kind of knew where your issues were mm. and it, I, I liked having that accountability I think and obviously when I did plastic free July there had been no war on waste there'd been yeah. no blue planet there'd been none of this like break free from plastic there was nothing happening on Instagram mm. at all kind of thing when I speak to other bloggers who are kind of blogging at the same time we were kind of just doing our own thing and we didn't know about anyone else so we saw it as just a challenge and not like oh I'm setting this challenge so I can make changes in the future it's just like I'm just going to see how I go mm. with this month and then we'll see what happens afterwards yeah and the only thing that really convinced me to keep going was just these other benefits which I hadn't anticipated and that was eating healthier food supporting my local community, really considering how my money was affecting people, not mm. just the environment but also people, and also life slowed down. It was just like there was just so many more benefits for living without plastic than kind of living with it. Mm. So once you'd made those changes, it was like, well, I'm not really going to go back. You just decided yeah, it was to hard keep going. to go back. Yeah, it was really difficult. I, I, I say to people, life, I don't look to me plastic free July isn't about necessarily plastics it's about learning to pause and think before you 
make a decision to buy something? You know, do you really need it? And I think having that power to overcome all that advertising, the feel to mm. need and fit in and keep up with Joneses is so freeing that mm. that's that's where I find that happiness has come from. I don't feel the need to keep up with everyone. You know, mm. I'm so more happier with myself than I was before. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And so you've got your website and your blogs and your Instagram and, you know, you seem to have a lot of people who are really interested in what you're talking about. Who is that audience? Are they people who are sort of hardcore going into non-plastics or are there more people that are coming from the same place that you came from where they weren't doing it at all and they've gone, oh, here's someone I can relate to who's actually done it as well? I find a lot of people who message me connect with me because I just, well, some some a fellow mother said to me yesterday, she's like, I like you because you're messy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> you're I'm real. Not, I'm real. I don't know if I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm just here to just share what I know. Yeah. And that's it. I only ever started my blog. Well, my blog started out as a travel blog. I'd moved to Melbourne and I thought I'd use it as a way to, like, document my travels in Melbourne and then this plastic stuff got really interesting. Mm. And then I just didn't know anyone, so I used my blog to kind of reach out to people and find friends so I didn't feel as weird. Yeah. Um, but luckily since the war on waste, nothing is as weird anymore. Yeah. I'd have to say the people who come to the blog, are yeah, they, they're starting out. Yeah. But also there's people who have already been doing it. They're like, oh, I'm looking for something like I've got an event coming up, like a wedding, or I'm having a baby and I'm really mm. interested in na- in like nappies or just yeah. those things that people might have a pickle with because these days there's so much more information compared mm. to when I started there was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> just like zero waste mascara. All right, this doesn't exist. I'll have to make my own then yeah. kind of thing. So... How, what do you think has caused that change? Like you talk about the war on waste. Like from my point of view, it seems to have really raised people's awareness. Do you think? Do you think that's the case? Yeah, definitely. War on waste did so much for the zero waste movement and plastic free. I think just general mm. awareness of our impact. Um, you know, before the war on waste kind of came out, I was in a couple of like local plastic free groups. It was really after the war and waste came out that I just saw an explosion mm. of community groups up and action groups, which I just was just like, this is fantastic. And they're still like working on things in their community. So I would yeah definitely say the war and waste. And before that, there was the war and waste in the UK because obviously the war and waste here was modelled off the British version. Mm-hmm. And then the Blue Planet, I think it's just been that and obviously media picking up on stories of people who keep yeah. all their rubbish in glass jars is, is, yeah. has, has definitely helped tip that over. Yeah. So the war on waste, a lot, you know, a lot of that was like keep cup sales went through the roof. And so those sort of basic things like having a keep cup and a drink bottle and trying to say no to plastic straws, they're becoming much more mainstream. But I think what a lot of us experience is, it's more of those everyday things at home in your kitchen, like you know, there's all this stuff that comes in plastic packaging. What 
what do you suggest people do to sort of try if they if they're wanting to try and reduce that? What can they do to start with that? Before I advise anyone to really start on like a kitchen would be to do a bin audit because mm. everyone's bins are different. Um, you can you do get a general idea of what will be in people's bins, and it's going to be largely organic waste mm-hmm. and um, the packaging as well that comes along with our food. And a lot of the time, that organic waste is sitting in plastic packaging and that's why it's gone to the bin because it's gone off and people Mm. don't take the time to separate it and compost it. But I'm going to take a stab here and think that most people listening to this podcast are keen um, composters and wouldn't do that anyway. Most, but maybe not all. Maybe not, but that's, yeah, but that's the biggest, um, the contribution to most of our plastics being in our landfill bins is because it's the food that's in them. People just haven't separated it Mm. or they might not know that they can recycle a lot of that soft plastic through the red cycle groups at Leaky Planet Coles and Woolworths and IGAs or even your local council might accept it too um, at the local council chambers or something like that too. Mm. Um, So that's where I would start to look at your your food shopping and you could do your own bin audit like they did on the war on waste or you could instead just put a piece of paper up by your bin or your recycling bin and just write down every time you throw something in there. Mm. And you might see um, quite quickly a theme like, oh, we use a lot of pasta. Maybe yeah. I'll look for pasta in cardboard. Now, if you don't have bulk food stores close to you, you're going to be like, well, I'm just not going to bother participating. Mm. But I'm going to say just hold that thought a minute. Instead, if you really like pasta and you're not able to give that up, that's okay. That plastic packaging is not your fault. Mm. Instead, write to the companies and let them know to say, hey, you guys are used to package all your pasta in cardboard. Now mm. it's got that funny little plastic window. Like why do you do that? Yeah. Um, which I know why they do do that. Someone told me the other day it's to when food is shipped overseas they have that plastic window or it's in plastic so then they can it's quickly see drugs. customs. No, but that's another one. <laughs> <laughs> no, just to see if it's off, to see if it's got bumps in it. Okay. That's it. Yeah. So then they know if they need to fumigate it or something like that. So, yeah, if, um, there is a really great company that's popped up called Community & Co and they do lasagna sheets in cardboard packaging in places like IGA and Woolworths. So you can write to them and say, hey, can you expand your line to regular pasta in cardboard? Then mm. you can take that cardboard and if you've got kids, that can be a craft project or you can compost it or then mm. obviously recycle it because paper is really valuable to be recycled. Mm. So I think it's, you know, we do need to speak up and, and ask for some of those changes because if we don't, they're just going to think, oh, people, people are fine with the plastics so we'll, we'll yeah. just keep doing it. Yeah, it's when you actually walk in and into a shop and say, I'm not going to buy that because that's how it's served. Then they start getting the message that, yeah, maybe if they change that. If enough people say that, they'll make that change, won't they? Yeah, and it only takes like 10 to 15 letters from different individuals mm. for a company to really take notice. Mm. Uh, someone told me recently if 10 people write to a store like Target to request an item be taken from the shelves, Target will act on that. Mm. So that's not a lot out of no. you know, 25 Australians to yeah. get something removed. So it, that letter writing does does help. It's so, not sexy. It's not fun maybe, but 
yeah. it's really important to do. And so have you had personal success with that? Nothing's really changed for me, but I have had wonderful responses from companies um, who have said, well, we will work on this or we are looking at this or we've tried certain mm. alternatives, but it's not working for us. So I think we feel if we write a letter, we're just not going to get that response or they just won't care, they'll, you know, throw it away. But you just don't know how that will plant a seed mm. and change. Like if, t- if, if a company receives 10 letters on a subject, they have to take that to the boardroom meeting generally. So mm. in the I'll say that is quite a big issue. So that's why I really advise doing because you, you just don't know. You could change anything. There's a girl in the UK, a seven-year-old girl who wrote to Pizza Express, which is a huge pizza chain there, asking them to stop giving out plastic straws because it's killing the turtles. Yeah. And that one letter um, ceased um, that company from, from handing out plastic straws. Mm. So you just, you just don't know. Yeah, so maybe parents amazing. start getting your kids to start writing letters. Yeah. And it often is this, it's the small community, small organisations of just a few people or one person even that start up some sort of program or some something like that, write some letters and that you can actually make change. And if you exactly. just think, oh, it's impossible, then well, nothing's going to happen. But at least if you've tried, you've tried. Yeah, and I just feel that, you know, it's that whole we have to kind of speak up for the people who don't have access to zero waste. Like if yeah. you live in a town where you've only got an IGA and you don't have a bulk food store mm. or a bulk cob or anything, you know, what are they going to do? Yeah. Drive an hour, two hours. That's, mm. you know, that's not feasible. So someone's going to have to, I guess, take that initiative to speak up on behalf of mm. them, especially for the people who don't care as well because mm. there's people out there who don't care. Mm. So, and there's more of them than there are of us at this stage. Yeah. So I think that's where we've really got to come together and, yeah, just speak up. And also some things aren't quite as affordable when they're, you know, shopping at the bulk food stores sometimes, you know, certain things can be more expensive and if you are on a mm. budget, it can be easier to just buy it in a packet at the supermarket. And yeah. yeah. If we can change it so that those packets are paper or cardboard, that's probably yeah. going to have a greater impact, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But also the other area is in the bathroom. So shampoo bottles, conditioner bottles, washers, this, that, the other. Now, what's your take on all of that that like I know that with the shampoo and conditioner you've got an alternative can you tell us about that I currently just wash mine with water Mm. at the moment yeah but um before that I was using shampoo bars Mm. so a shampoo bar looks like a bar of soap Mm. but it's just a concentrated product Mm. when you buy your liquid shampoo and conditioner it's usually made up of about 70 percent water Mm. So you're pretty much just paying for water and some fancy schmancy packaging yeah. and not the actual product. Yeah. And if you get it concentrated, it will last a lot longer. So we've got a shampoo bar for my son because he's unfortunately started needing it now. Yeah. Um, and it's it's lasted for over a year. Yeah. And you can now get them at Priceline even. You can get them at farmer's markets. Yeah. Uh, and just by switching out to a shampoo bar, you can save between three to 12 bottles a year, yeah. depending how often you wash your hair, which is quite a lot. Yeah. And you won't have to worry about all those plastic bottles cluttering your feet in the shower. Yeah, you know, yeah. which is nice. 
So I'm interested in your just washing your hair with water, so that transition. How was that tra- journey for you, like going? Because just I'm doing the same thing recently. I've gone from, to just that not using anything and that process, and it is a bit of a transition until you get to yeah. the point where your hair starts to be okay without washing it. What was your journey? So like? I didn't have a face and that is because I this is going to sound really weird this is when <laughs> your listeners might be like oh, okay all right we might switch off so <laughs> I way back I think it was 2015 we um it must have been avocado season at our farmer's market because we must have just had a lot of avocados and I kept thinking oh there must be something you can do with avocado seeds because they're mm. just like filling up the compost bin and I started and I Googled it. I was like, is this something you can do with an avocado seed? And I found something called avocado seed shampoo. Mm. Someone had written on their blog. And so what they did is they grate the avocado seed, they boil it down, and then um, with the water you add, I think it's like a quarter cup of, of shampoo. So I was using the bulk shampoo at that stage from, from – my local co-op yeah and so I did that and then over time I just decreased the amount of shampoo that I was putting in to this avocado seed shampoo concoction okay. to the point where it's just the avocado seed water and then I just went water and that was that was it so I slowly just decreased it over the mm. course of I think six months maybe more yeah so I didn't mean to go water free I was just I was just like oh I'm just gonna see yeah I start decreasing I think I kind of just run out of shampoo maybe two to add into it yeah. and I was just like I'll just give it a go. Yeah. It does require a little bit more maintenance, I think, with with going water only. Like you've got to remember to brush your hair. Yeah, I know. That's a weird one oils. for me. I never used to brush yeah. my hair. Yes, me either. And I'm like, oh, I better brush it. Um, so I get, but I guess that's kind of nice because it means I've got to go sit down somewhere and mm. take Brush your minutes. locks. Yes, exactly. A hundred like, strokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, I'll just boil up some rosemary tea, mm. just some rosemary yeah. tea, let that cool. And then when I'm in the shower, I'll give my scalp like a good kind of massage and just, again, break up those oils and then just let that and the rosemary just kind of goes through and helps dislodge, mm. I think, any extra oil that's in yeah. there. But, again, it's just a lot of massaging. Yeah. My hair's been great. Like I've yeah. TV with it. You know, my hairdresser's always amazed when I tell them. Yeah. That I don't so. Yeah. Um, but when I get to see them, I'll let them use shampoo to give it a bit of a, a cleanse if it needs it. Yeah. But I never seem to go back through a phase either. Just. Yeah. But yeah, it's really interesting. It's like the, it's just something that we've kind of all developed and got used to, is shampooing, pruning your hair every few days, and it's actually really yeah. liberating to just be like, oh, I just I don't need to do it. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, it is really nice. Because yeah, um, I found it was quite hard. Like shampoo bars, I found were okay, but then conditioner bars, they just kind of didn't really work for me. And you know, I tried a few things, and yeah, and the, the plastic bottles were doing my head in. And I and yeah, I don't yeah. have any source locally for bulk shampoo and conditioner. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'll just try going without and see how it goes. And, so far, so good. I think, yeah, I think it just does take a while for those oils to get down, like mm. through your hair. And once they do, then yeah, you just don't need that conditioner, mm. which is just really nice. Um, and like, I was really worried after I had my son that maybe my hormones would go really crazy. Yeah. And it would be oily, but 
It was fine. Yeah. And honestly, I think we get very caught up in what people will think of us if, if you do go through that transition, you know, if you've got oily hair, what are people <laughs> going to say? Well, I have no friends. And <laughs> all you have to say is, like, I'm just giving an experiment of, you know, reducing my shampoo because of X, Y, Z. And yeah. Most people these days aren't that judgy and will support you, I find. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that whole, you know, reducing my shampoo use is just part of that bigger picture of, of zero waste where you do step back and question everything. Like, am I just using this because I've been told I need to use it mm. or, you know, do I actually need it? Like my husband doesn't use deodorant anymore. And he found out he didn't actually smell, but he's been using Lynx since he was, you know, 14, 15 because mm. that's what all the boys were doing. Mm. And it's probably the same with all us girls. Like, well, I've, all the girls were using Impulse, so I better use that as well. And yeah. then you kind of step up and like, actually, I, I don't smell that bad. Mm. You know, it's, it's just amazing how much we're kind of just told yeah. we need with like dry shampoos and, yeah. You know, there's all these very simple replacements for these things we spend a lot of money and a lot of our time chasing yeah. too. Yeah, and I think in that younger age group there's that peer pressure. Well, not even peer pressure. It's just wanting to have the same thing that your friends have got and wanting to fit in and, yeah. But you soon realise that you don't actually need to do that. <laughs> so, so you're talking about your son and having a baby. So how did you go with that? Because that's often a time where suddenly – all your ideals, well, this was my experience and still is my experience, all my ideals of, yeah, I don't do this and I don't eat that and I only live like this. And even when they were young, I could still live that life with them to a degree. But as they got older and they had their own opinions and like we were just saying, they've got their friends who they're trying to, you know, it can be really challenging. So like, okay, yesterday was the start of Plastic Free July Challenge. You know, I made these biscuits and because the butter wrapper had some plastic in it, I was like, well, I won't put butter in it. I'll just have some olive oil instead. And, you know, my kids were like, ugh, yuck, I'm not eating that. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it does become a lot more difficult to just make do when you've got other little people who have got strong opinions. So, I mean, your kid, your son's not that old, but how was your journey into babyhood, which can often produce a lot of waste? Yeah, I had a lot of high expectations and they like I'd be making all this food from scratch and I didn't anticipate how time poor you get mm. and the tiredness as yeah. well was just really confronting for me yeah um but I, I fortunately pulled myself up quite quickly and just said I'm just going to do my best mm. if that means I get uber eats once in a while that's fine um yeah. you know I wasn't too hard on myself I even tried like I bought some things pre-packaged mm. and you know I didn't know if they had plastic in them or not and like I would write to companies afterwards but it was just it was a real struggle mm. you know to sometimes get that food on the table at the end of the day and mm not wanting to crawl under the doona yeah. and see the world. And it can be really hard when you have set yourself up in a lifestyle where you do live quite well and you don't use plastics to then have those challenges and then that guilt that you feel and that unease when you 
buying these things that you really don't want to be buying but you know you also have to look after your own mental health and exactly and not create that, stress amongst not only yourself but your family and whoever's around you yeah yeah I I agree because at the end of the day you've got a little person who who depends on you to live really yeah, yeah. and that's a huge responsibility so I was once I realized the stress I kind of stopped following a lot of uh, zero waste accounts and bloggers and stuff that made it look easy mm. because you know for instance like going to a bulk food store with my two-year-old is just <laughs> Can chaos I I'll put it just in. like just putting hands into everything <laughs> and you spend your whole time just like don't touch it don't touch this yeah. Yeah. you know but you don't want to get angry at them and the yeah. staff's like oh it's fine and it's like you know it's not fine yeah. <laughs> and, just, and if it's a busy day and they can't kind of help you it's it, it's just very stressful and they're yeah. like screaming or they say chocolate and you're just like <laughs> uh okay yeah we had an incident so, with oh. a um, self-serve dishwashing liquid <laughs> where I had my two kids helping me and there was a bit of a lapse of attention and it ended up all over the floor oh, yeah and that's and then you're there and like mocking they were lovely and, about it but yeah but <laughs> so yeah, no it's um but I think once you become a mum I quickly realized like oh this is how supermarkets became so popular like yeah. you've got to just go in with a child who's having a tantrum and just being like throw everything into the basket mm. and go is so much more appealing than like go to the Baldwin store. Oh, I was yeah. going to go to the butcher, but maybe I won't do that today. Yeah. I was going to go get some bread, but maybe not today. We'll just go yeah. home. So it's – I do understand that. And, you know, I, I think of the women back in the, in 1955 when they would have seen that picture in, in Life magazine of the family throwing up plastic plates and cutlery and this mm. headline saying, you know, um, throwaway living and the article explains you don't have to do the dishes anymore, yeah. you know. Sounds As inviting, woman, doesn't it? have been like, sign me up, yes, please, let's do this. So yeah. I completely understand how it became popular. Yeah. And at my talks I often speak with women who are in their 70s and 80s and they'll say if it wasn't for plastic I would never have been able to get into the workforce. Mm. I would never have been able to go home. Yeah. Would have, you know, it's like. Would we be where we are if it, if it wasn't for plastic? I don't know. Yeah, interesting point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's sort of like we've come full circle really in like that was the suddenly it was easy to throw things out but it took a few decades to realise the effect that that had and it took a few decades for that waste to build up and for the yeah. it to get into the oceans and and now we're kind of seeing the result of it and yeah it's just a matter of that learning and becoming aware of it and for a lot of people it's yeah you just don't think of it I mean we've all probably unless you've been brought up in a family that's been really into this stuff like there has been a slow evolution of awareness about all of these issues and yeah and I think that's where the war on waste was so good so it was like start with your keep cup you know and then you start using that Mm. and then you go oh actually what about this bit of waste too? And yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think it is important to have have that those small little steps available for people who, yeah, because to try and do it all at once is, yeah, 
it's difficult. It's just it's it's, a it's daunting and yeah, and unless if you've got like if you're in a family and you're the sole person who kind of does everything, which is I am in, in my family. Like my husband completely supports me and he lives this way. Mm. But at the end of the day, I do most of it. Yeah, yeah. And I know that lots of lots of other women do that. Yeah. So it's a lot of responsibility to have mm. and still be that modern woman who goes yeah. and, you know, brings brings money home as well. Yeah. So to I think these these things like plastic free to lie or starting with your compost and you know reducing your food waste it's you I think it's realistic to do it that way I think going cold turkey unless if you've got every single person on yeah, board who exactly. absolutely gets it yeah it, which is rare yeah I haven't met that yet I'm trying to convince <laughs> teenage kids that it's a good idea to go no plastic is a slight challenge yeah, look, me and my husband said before our son arrived, when he gets older and he wants something in plastic, we're going to let him make the decision. We'll explain yeah. why we don't want it, but yeah, exactly, it's going to be his choice and we'll never enforce things on him because my husband still will bring home like ice cream mm. from the store or chips sometimes yeah. and I don't say a word. I'm yeah. just like it's your choice. I don't. I'm not here to parent you. Yeah, you're your own human. So he yeah. and he will say afterwards, like, oh, I shouldn't have bought that. You know, <laughs> I know it's fine. It was so yummy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know, again, it's not his fault. You know. No, but no, I think you know you don't have to do everything. You know, you can make those changes and look for the error, and you slowly change when you're ready to and when. Um, you know, you you find something you're feeling guilty about and you think, why am I feeling guilty about it? What is it exactly? Then you can kind of relook at it and think, okay, well, can I change this? If mm. I can, do something about it. And if you can't at that point in time, well, just be okay Pick with it. Because, yeah, feeling guilty is not a good way to go. Yeah. Like I get a lot of people question me about milk. Mm, milk's tricky. We just don't have that option everywhere to no. go and up our dairy products in glass yeah uh so I say pick something else yeah pick something else yeah I I suggest the kind of um way I would buy milk but I just say if you can't find a solution there's a thousand other things in your bin that you Mm. could look to to fix as Mm. well yeah um so until I said just don't stress too much about that yet yeah (laughs) and also sometimes it's important to maybe support local as well it's not there are other aspects to bring into the equation as well. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're getting, you know, it's great for getting milk and glass that comes from like Queensland or New South Wales or, or mm. Tassie. But if you've got a local dairy that's mm. servicing you and you can recycle those jugs and you can send those lids off to be turned into prosthetic limbs for, for, mm. for children that's not a bad solution at the moment until yeah. that that dairy is able to have the money to have that glass and have those mm. facilities to to sanitize it like that that costs a lot of money yeah. for a small yeah. business to do so yeah i'm all for supporting local as well over mm. necessarily organic package free from yeah. vietnam yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> 
Now I just wanted to talk about your two books. So there's Waste Not, Make a Big Difference by Throwing Away Less. So that came out about a year ago, is that right? Mm -hmm. And then that was followed up with Waste Not Every Day, which is 360 ways to reduce, reuse and reconnect. So what inspired you to make to make these books? Well, I don't, I, my son was six months old and I wasn't thinking correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget saying yes and then a month later, like, what have I done? This is the dumbest thing I've ever thought to do. Um, so... Before The War and Waste came, I'd been offered by a couple publishing companies to write a book, mm. but there was no appetite yet, like, beyond the internet, no one was talking about this stuff. Yeah. And then after The War and Waste aired, my inbox became like, hey, have you thought about writing a book? Yeah. And I went away and I did, I did actually have a good think for a week, like, should I, shouldn't I do this? And I thought, mm. do you know what? We can go into any bookstore at the moment and you can get a gazillion books on how to make pasta or a green smoothie yeah, yeah. but reduce our waste there's there's really only one or two mm. and why can't we have a shelf full of these which we're on our way to getting that yeah, yeah. which is fantastic so if if I can just help provide resources to people if there's someone that just happens to be on their way to buy a green smoothie book or a pasta making book <laughs> and they stop past you know a couple books on reducing waste and have never heard of it or they've just seen the war on waste and they're like, oh, keep cups, yeah. I can start with that. It's just helping show people and give them the confidence mm. that it's you can reduce your waste. There are so many ways that you can do this mm. and just give people the tools as well to, I guess, stop and think really. That's my main mm. goal just encourage people to stop. So, so I would can you sort of tell, tell us what, what's in the books like? The first one, like what, what are people going to find when they read that? So the first one is very big. It's a very comprehensive book on reducing waste. And in it I explain how you can reduce waste by starting with like a plastic-free challenge like Plastic Free July and also explaining there why recycling is not the answer and why we should be reducing our waste. Mm. Every single man-made environmental concern we have is cause of our consumption like our consumption causes everything mm. it's stuff that we have control over when it comes to the climate change issue there's so many solutions that a lot of us feel we can't do anything about mm. I think once you start looking at waste you're like oh okay so if I just buy secondhand clothing and look after that item rather than go buy fast fashion that helps reduce the amount of resources needed to create a new garment, to then package it in plastic and ship it around the world, mm. to where I wear it a couple of times and then throw it away. Yeah. So it's just explaining to people in depth the changes you can make, the reasoning behind it, and what will happen if we do make those changes. Mm. So Waste Not Every Day is Waste Not's little sister who kind of gets straight to it's the point. So cute. It's such a nice little book. <laughs> So it's got 365 tips and rather than having all the explanations of why we should do things, it just tells you to just how to do them. Yeah. So I set it up like a bin audit um, that you would get done by the local council and it's structured through organics and then after that's recyclables 
And then after that's the other section. So all the other things that we throw into the bin. And I just look at ways that we can reduce kind of each item that we would throw into our bin. Mm. I used a waste audit um, that was put up by Sustainability Victoria and I just looked at each item that was thrown into the bin and just looked for alternatives. And I just structured the book as, you know, saying if we if we can make these changes, then we're going to – this is going to be a way for us to kind of fight climate change mm. if we can adopt these because yeah everything we do everything that's manufactured new requires new resources and all this energy Mm. you know moving to renewables is fantastic but if we don't look at our consumption then nothing's going to change so we need to really curb that in and get into the habit of reducing and reusing and reconnecting with each other and our communities because you know all those batteries and wind they still require resources to make new batteries yeah so it's all about you know reducing as much as we possibly can and just curbing our obsession with buying new stuff yeah so one thing you said I think it was in waste not every day was that by reducing your single-use plastic you actually found that there was this whole it wasn't just about reducing the plastic but there was this whole other benefit that came from it and part of that was about reconnecting to our place within the world. What do you mean by that? I think for so long us humans have kind of felt like we are above and away from everything in this world, like we are just not part of the system. And part of me, you know, reducing my plastic was realising that if I buy something here that's been manufactured in another country my choice here affects a community, affects a mother, affects her child. Mm. And it's just that realisation that everything that we do has a knock-on effect, either good or bad. So Mm. I want my choice to be a good choice and one that I know will impact someone for the better, not for the worse. And that's also about my son's future too. I, I don't want him to be left cleaning up after us, mm. which is the reality. Uh, my son and his friends are going to be stuck cleaning, you know, plastic out of the oceans. Mm. They're going to be, you know, they might not even want to swim in the oceans by the time 2050 mm. rolls around. You know, my family doesn't eat fish anymore because of all the plastics in the ocean. We're just too nervous about all the chemicals mm. that connect to the plastic or the the DDT and the dioxins and, you know, they become a, a magnet and the fish eat them and then it works its way out through the food chain. So it's just, you know, we really do need to reconnect with our place and just realise we are not above nature no. at all. Like we so heavily rely on nature to thrive mm. and, and we can see right now that nature's not very happy with us. So, no. And... And we are seeing some horrible ramifications from that. That's only going to worsen if we don't if we don't stop. Mm. And yeah, sometimes the biggest changes that we can make are the small changes that we make in our own lives. And if enough people make those changes, then there's a groundswell and changes happen on a bigger level. So I think yeah, exactly. your books and your website and everything are so great in that sense that they're encouraging other people to make those little changes that together can make. A bigger change yeah it's just making it look normal yeah because we can we can live this way where we've 
reusing our bottles and our jars and or you know we're composting more and Mm. we can live quite a modern lifestyle we don't have to run off into the bush and Mm -hmm. give up everything and unless if you want to do that which I completely understand sometimes (laughs) but um you we we don't have to do that yeah you know it's just about being aware just again just the pause think am I is is what I'm about to do going to be good or is it going to be bad for someone Mm. and ultimately we we Deep down, I know human beings are, are, are good We and we want to do good things. We're just being distracted a yeah. little bit for a while. It's just time to, yeah, pause, reconnect with nature, reconnect with our community, which I'm seeing through the Zero Waste Movement so much, reconnection, which has just been fantastic mm. and I can only anticipate more of it in the future. Mm. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. It's been really great to hear your insights and about your journey. And, yeah, good luck with the books. They're both great books to read and lots of information. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. And thank you for all you do with PIP. It's so fantastic to have a resource like yours that we can get at our news agency. So thank you. Thank you for all you do. (laughs) Thanks. No worries. Do you want to learn more about waste-free living? Visit our website at pipmagazine.com.au where you'll find great articles and ideas on how to reduce waste in your life. You'll also find a link to this podcast, along with some of the useful resources mentioned in this episode. Don't forget to grab your copy of Issue 14 to read Erin's article on reducing waste in the kitchen. We hope you enjoyed this episode.